Today on the Matt Wall Show, a recent CNN article compares Joe Rogan's use of the N-word to January 6th. And January 6th, as we know, according to the left, was as bad as 9-11. This may all seem very stupid on the surface, and it is stupid, but there's something deeper going on here. We'll talk about what that is today. Also, a new euphemism for rioters just dropped. It's the best one of all. you got to hear it. Plus, the ATF essentially encourages people to make false reports against their enemies for revenge. And a gender educator explains why you ladies are misogynists if you don't like seeing penises in your locker rooms. And also a model says that uh, she doesn't uh, need any man because she's in love with herself. Will autosexuals now be welcomed into the LGBT alphabet camp? We'll talk about that and much more today on The Matt Walsh Show. You know, the thing that really defines a room, especially your living room, is the couch. I mean, that's that's what the room is there for. And uh, that's why you got to make sure you get the best couch, the best sofa possible. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you've probably heard me talk about my Helix mattress. He- mattress. Helix has left the bedroom, though, and they've started making sofas. They just launched a new company called Allform, and they're already making the best sofas we've ever seen. So what makes an Allform sofa really cool? For starters, it's the easiest way that you can customize a sofa using premium materials and at a fraction of the cost of traditional stores. You can pick your fabric. Uh, it's spill stain and scratch resistant as well. Then you could pick the color of the sofa, the color of the legs, sofa size, the shape to make sure it's perfect for you and your home. Usually to get a customized furniture, customized couch, it's going to cost you uh, an arm and a leg, but that's not the case here. They've got armchairs and love seats all the way up to an eight-seat sectional, so there's something for everyone. You can always start small and buy more seats later on if you want your all-form sofa to grow and change with you when you move. All-form sofas are also delivered directly to your door. In the past, if you wanted to order a sofa, you would need to hire someone to come and assemble it in your home and break your back trying to put it together yourself. Uh, but if getting a sofa without trying in a store sounds a little risky, you don't need to worry. You get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. That's more than three months. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up for free and give you a full refund. And Allform is offering 20% off all orders for our listeners at allform.com Walsh. To find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com Walsh. One uh, conspiracy theory that I subscribe to is that corporate media headlines are created by the use of some sort of random current event buzzword generator. And I'm beginning to think that journalists and news anchors themselves personally are created in a laboratory through a similar process. And this theory was further legitimized over the weekend when CNN published an article with the following headline. Joe Rogan's use of the N-word is another January 6th moment. Now, this would have been the perfect headline if only they'd found a way to jam a climate change reference in there as well. As it stands, I have to grade it an 8 out of 10. Pretty solid work, though. CNN was embarrassed by the mockery that followed, and they soon changed the headline to Why Shrugging Off Joe Rogan's Use of the N-Word is So Dangerous. Yes, it is quite dangerous to shrug at a word. The most dangerous kind of shrug of all, in fact. Uh, But this headline is, is still very stupid. Sadly, it lacks the comedic punch of the first headline. Sequels rarely live up to the originals, especially in the comedy genre. But the article itself remained unchanged. And it's worth reading some of this. Here's what it says. The podcaster Joe Rogan did not join a mob that forced lawmakers to flee for their lives. He never carried a Confederate flag out inside the U.S. Capitol Rotunda. No one died trying to stop him from using the N-word. But what Joe Rogan and those that defend him have done since videos, clips of him uh, using the N-word surfaced on social media is arguably just as dangerous as what a mob did when they stormed the U.S. Capitol on January 6th last year. Of course, by the way, nobody died trying to stop the Capitol rioters either. But who has time for such minor details? Things like the truth, who has time for that? Nobody does. It continues, 
Rogan breached a civic norm that has held together since World War II. It's an unspoken agreement that we would never return to the kind of country we used to be. That agreement revolved around this simple rule. A white person would never be able to publicly use the N-word again and not pay a price. Rogan has so far paid no steep professional price for using a racial slur that's been called the nuclear bomb of racial slurs. It may even boost his career. That's, why some, that's, that's what some say happened to another white entertainer who was recently caught using the word. It's a sign of how desensitized we've become to the rising levels of violence, rhetorical and physical, in our country that Rogan's slur was treated as the latest racial outrage of the week. But once we allow a white public figure to repeatedly use the foulest racial epithet in the English language without experiencing any form of punishment, we become a different country. We accept the mainstreaming of a form of political violence that's as dangerous as a January 6th attack. Now, it's hard to know where to begin. First, we have the, the casual way that words and physical violence are equated. Rhetorical violence, as the author puts it. Uh, it may be hard for those of us raised on these sticks and stones may break my bones philosophy to understand how any adult person, especially a man, and I think this article was written by an alleged man, could actually claim with any kind of straight face that a word has done violence to him. But what you have to understand is that we live in the age of psychological man, where a person's emotional and psychological comfort is considered to be the number one priority. Emotional is emotions, is, they're not just on par with physical well-being, but actually they're prioritized over it. This is why, for example, a person who feels distraught over their body, their biological identity, is encouraged to mutilate their body for the sake of their psychological self-identity, rather than working to change their psychological self-identity to better comport with their bodies. Your, your psychological self-identity, your emotional well-being, that is the number one most important thing. In this context, you see how a word or idea or opinion or joke which causes emotional discomfort becomes an even worse form of violence than a bullet to your head or a blade to your stomach. But there's something else going on here, too. He says that there's a, a social contract, a social norm that we've all agreed to, which declares that a white person can never say this certain word in any context. Last night, singer India Ari was on The Daily Show um, continuing her campaign against Joe Rogan, and she made a similar point. Listen. When you know you're doing it, and like you said in your monologue, if a person keeps doing it, is that when we call them a racist? So if you know you're doing it and you keep doing it, I would say that is a racist. And so for me, when I think about, I want to be nice. I was going to say this name that I'm tired of saying. But for me, when I think about Joe Rogan, I think, I think that he is being consciously racist. I mean, since the early 1900s, we've had a agreement in our society that we don't say the word or or you have mm -hmm. to suffer the consequences right and so saying it and then being like what are you gonna do oh sorry i didn't mean that or i, I didn't understand there was no context under which i should say it i don't believe that i think he knew there was no context i think that's why he was saying it because it got a rise out of people that's why he would say it he knew that it was inappropriate and i think the fact that, the fact that he did it repeatedly and was conscious and new, I think that is being racist. 
I like how she pretends she didn't want to say Joe Rogan's name. I, don't, I, I told myself I wasn't going to say his name. That's the only reason you're being interviewed. The whole reason you're on The Daily Show is to talk about Joe Rogan. Like, no one else, no one wants to talk to India Ari for any other reason, okay? Uh, that's the whole reason you're there, is to talk about Joe Rogan. And by the way, uh, we should also mention with, with uh, Trevor Noah that he, the, you know, he's, he's very much been part of this effort to cancel Joe Rogan. And, uh, uh, but you, you may have seen some of the screenshots circulating on Twitter from several years ago when uh, Trevor Noah was first announced as the replacement for, um, for, uh, for The Daily Show for Jon Stewart. All of these jokes that he had made in his past came to the surface, and there was this cancel campaign against Trevor Noah, and guess who came to his defense? None other than Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan came out and said, hey, it was just a joke. Everyone back off. And to repay that, Trevor Noah flips it around and uh, joins the mob against him because that's what these people are, are made of on the left. Now, we're told that there's this rule that we all agreed to. The problem is that we did not all agree to this rule. I, I didn't agree to it. I don't agree to it. I'm a part of society also, and I haven't signed any social contract which declares that the right to use a word, any word, depends on your skin pigment or your country of origin. I don't agree to any rule which allows a member of one racial group to say a word 6,000 times a day if they want, while a member of another group cannot utter it in any context at all, no matter what. I don't agree to any rule which says that context doesn't matter when it comes to language. Context always matters. You cannot know what anyone is saying or understand anyone's meaning if you ignore context. Context is always important. In fact, she she uh, contradicts herself in what she's saying right there because she says, oh, I, uh, he, he used the word that he knew was offensive and he said it because he was trying to get a rise out of people. Okay, well, if you think that was the context that he was trying to get a rise out of people and he was just saying it because it's offensive and he's trying to get attention... I don't know if that's true or not, but if that's true, that means it's not racist. That means his intention was not to be racist. It was just to get attention or to be offensive for the sake of being offensive. Now, you can say what you want about someone doing that, but it's not racist. It's just, it's, that's the motivation according to you. But the context doesn't matter. I also have not consented to whatever consequences CNN or India Ari or Trevor Noah you know, think ought to be doled out to the violators of this agreement that I never signed. I don't agree to any of it. Most everyone in the country has not agreed to any of this. And that's because it's not our rule. It's not society's rule. It's their rule. The leftist elite have come up with these social directives, these kind of cultural regulations, and they demand adherence and will attempt to punish anyone who does not adhere. What we have to understand is that to the leftist elite, their social edicts and ordinances are the most important rules, the most sacred law, the only law, really. This is part of the reason why they've given up on enforcing the actual written law, the law that says you can't do stuff like, you know, rob and kill people. Partly they've abandoned that kind of law and order because they want to destabilize civilization, but also their heart isn't in it. All that matters to them is that you follow their rules. Rules against hurting and killing people, I mean physically hurting and killing people, not emotionally hurting and killing them, they've been in place in every civilization in one form or another since the dawn of time. The left cannot claim credit for those rules, didn't invent them, and thus doesn't care about them. So they're not emphasized and sometimes are directly and purposefully de-emphasized. For example, a woman in New York 
named Christina Yuna Lee was murdered inside her apartment by a homeless drifter just last week. The Daily Mail has some of the details. It says a homeless serial criminal accused of murdering an ad creative after following her into her apartment, um, knifed the woman 40 times with one of her own knives, and had a sexual motive for doing so, a court heard. Asamad Nash was charged with sexually motivated burglary by prosecutors on Monday. As was revealed, his victim, Christina Yuna Lee, was found topless in the bathtub of her Chinatown apartment on Sunday. The charge suggests a possible motive for the brutal murder, which shocked NYC and raised fresh questions about New York State's bail reforms after it was revealed that Nash was a serial criminal on bail for robbery when he allegedly uh, did the killing. Well, of course he was on bail. That's the detail you can always count on finding in any of these stories about violent scumbags randomly assaulting or killing innocent people. They're always on bail. Now, it turns out that Nash had a lengthy rap sheet stretching back years. He's been a violent, worthless, societal leech for a long time. But here are the highlights from just uh, the past year. It says, quote, according to court records accessed by DailyMail.com, Nash has been arrested four times in the last year alone. His rap sheet included misdemeanor charges of assault, intentional damage to property, harassment, resisting arrest, both attempted and successful escape from police officers, and selling a fare card. Three of these cases remain open, and he has appeared in court on numerous occasions. He was set to appear again before a judge on March 9th on the assault, harassment, and intentional damage to property charges. Now, it doesn't matter how often this sort of thing happens. The left will keep pushing for things like bail reform, ensuring that more and more violent criminals are put back on the street even after they've been arrested, because these rules are not their rules. They quite sincerely feel more outrage about Joe Rogan saying a naughty word than they do about a woman getting stabbed to death in her apartment by a drug-addled vagrant. Not only because the vagrant's race makes him still a victim according to their narrative, but also because the vagrant didn't break any rule that they invented. He violated a different code. The legal code, for one, but also the moral code written in our hearts by natural law and codified by every human civilization since time immemorial. They don't care about that. What matters most is their rule book, which they came up with and which they add to every day and whose violators they believe should pay the harshest penalty of all. Now let's get to our five headlines. Did you know that right now you could be paying a lot less for your home? It's true. And it really isn't that difficult to make it happen. I mean, mortgage rates are still incredibly low. Chances are you can benefit. I'm telling you, this is your chance to save hundreds, maybe even up to $1,000 a month. You've just got to call American Financing, America's home for home loans. Take advantage of a free mortgage review and learn about custom loans that can save you big money. No pressure, no obligation, no upfront or hidden fees. You decide what's best for your budget and uh, their salary-based mortgage consultants, they're going to help make it happen as well. It really is that easy. And if you start soon, you could skip up to two payments to begin with, saving money that way as well. Uh, and you may close in as fast as 10 days. Call 866-569-4711 if you want to make sure that you're saving money on your mortgage and saving money in your budget as well every single month. Call again, 866-569-4711. That's 866-569-4711. One more time, 866-569-4711. Or apply online, AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing, NMLS, 182334, NMLS, all right. So, you know, I, uh, I don't want to get too sappy here on a, on a Tuesday, but I, I have to tell you that, um, you know, I, I love my wife. I like to show her how much I appreciate her. And um, I might not be the most romantic guy in the world, but, but last night for Valentine's Day, 
and I'm not trying to brag either. And I, you know, if there's any women listening, I don't want you to feel um, like your like your your husband or your boyfriend is is somehow insufficient because of what I'm going to tell you. I'm, I'm not trying to make anyone jealous, but I decided to do something a little special on Valentine's Day, and uh, I took my wife to Cracker Barrel uh, last night. A bit of a splurge, I realize, but I said to my wife, "You know what? You deserve this." You, and, and I told her, get anything you want from the menu. Um, you want to get the you want to get the fried chicken. You, you want to get you want to go with the three side special instead of just the two sides. Go for it, okay? Because I'm here to take care of you. And uh, so that's what we did. And I'm totally serious, by the way. It's not a joke. This that's where we went last night for Valentine's Day. Um, we had the kids with us, so we couldn't we couldn't find a babysitter, you know. So what are you gonna do? You gotta try to go to a nice, fancy, like uh, candle lit dinner when you've got four kids with you. It's impossible. So uh, we went to Cracker Barrel. My wife had to had to leave uh, mid meal uh, also to change our, our daughter's diaper because she pooped in her diaper, and um, I couldn't do that because I you know I don't know how to change diapers. So she just had to do it, and it was great. We played the little triangle game, the little triangle peg game that they have at the table. We walked around the gift shop a little bit afterwards. Uh, we lectured my son for not eating his chicken tenders, even though I spent literally $4 on them. So it was a great, great meal. And the thing is, I'm sitting there in, in Cracker Barrel on Valentine's Day. And on one hand, I find it hilarious, the whole situation. On the other hand, I maybe feel a little s- slight amount of shame because it is Valentine's Day and I am with my wife at Cracker Barrel. And there's like almost nobody else there. Like, n- And usually... You know this when you go to Cracker Barrel, any time of day, any any day of the year, the place is packed. There's nobody else there, o- almost nobody else. And so I'm kind of working through this in my head, and then one of the uh, one of the waitresses comes over and says, "Hey, are you Matt Walsh?" And then the manager comes, and another employee, and it was a whole crowd, and and they they, you know, they asked me for an autograph. I think I autographed one of the menus. And my wife loved every single minute of it. By the way, she kept trolling me by suggesting things that she knew I wouldn't want to do. She's like, oh, you want to get the other employees? We can all take a big group picture with Matt. So that's how it went. Um, and she asked them, she said, uh, she says, oh, does, does Cracker Barrel have a celebrity wall? We could take his picture and put it up there. It's like, yeah, like, I'll, I'll be up there with the local weatherman, you know, and the guy who runs the car dealership down the street. Um, it was good, though. I'm a man of the people. I don't talk to people, but I'm a man of the people. And it's funny sometimes because, you know, I'll be, I, I am sometimes accused of being an elitist, like out of touch. Oh, you're an out-of-touch elitist media person. Dude, I, I shop at Walmart and I go to Cracker Barrel with my family on Valentine's Day. That's what I do. I have changed literally not one single part of who I am or what I do. And by the way, I put up a picture yesterday, uh, last night, because I decided that the secret was out anyway, so I might as well, I might as well just run with it. And I, I took a picture of my wife at Cracker Barrel and I, I posted it to Twitter, you know, announcing all of this. And, uh, but, and it was up for about 20 minutes. I had to take it down because my wife looked at the picture, not because she was ashamed we were at Cracker Barrel, but because she didn't like the way she looked in the picture. And so I had to take it down. And like my wife, when it comes to pictures, she'll, she inspects them very, very closely. If she sees one, oh, my eyelash is a little bit crooked there. I got to take it down. So any unsanctioned picture of her that, that makes its way anywhere publicly, that's a problem. So, and that's how Valentine's day ended for us. It was great. Very romantic night. All right. Um, so speaking of Valentine's Day, you know, there, there are many people who think that our federal law enforcement agencies are corrupt, out of control, full of lunatics. 
And this isn't going to do anything to negate those concerns. So let's put up what the, what, uh, the ATF decided to tweet on Valentine's Day. So this is ATF headquarters, their official account on Twitter. And they say, Valentine's Day can still be fun even if you broke up. Do you have information about a former or current partner involved in illegal gun activity? Let us know and we'll make sure it's a Valentine's Day to remember. And then they have a little faux Valentine's Day card there. It says, got an ex who buys or sells guns illegally? We would love to meet and treat them to a Valentine's Day surprise. Okay, I'll remind you again, this is not some kooky kind of anti-gun organization that put this out there or anything like that. This is the ATF that tweeted this from their official account. And they're encouraging you to make, out of, out of jealousy or revenge, to make reports of criminal activity on, on people that you know. So they can get, basically encouraging swatting. This is, um, this is a not-so-veiled attempt to encourage false reports also. Because how are people going to take that? If anyone sees that, and they're as psychotic as the ATF apparently hopes that they are, and they're going to think, oh, okay, well, I, you know, I've got a, I've got a husband who cheated on me, and he left me, and I'm, and I hate him for that. Maybe, maybe I'll go ahead and call that tip line that they provided. Now, he might have illegal guns or not. And if he gets killed in the ensuing raid, then uh, hey, it's all, it's all, all a benefit in the end. This is what our government agencies are now encouraging: to call and report someone for revenge, really, whether the report is true or not. Amazing. Well, I wish I could say that I'm amazed by it, but I'm not quite. Um, Here's another thing that's not amazing, but it is great in its own way. After the Super Bowl win in Los Angeles, people, of course, started rioting. And uh, let's play play first the news report on this. Um, Take a look at 6B. Take a look at this. This is downtown L.A. where Super Bowl victory celebrations have gotten out of hand. And KCO 9's Desmond Shaw is live overhead in Sky 9. And I believe that's a metro bus, uh, Desmond, and people are climbing on top of it. What's going on there? Yeah, this just happened seconds ago here, Chris and Leslie. Quite raucous here on uh, Grand between 11th and 12th. Now, LAPD was trying to disperse the crowd to the south, and then everyone just kind of headed north. Uh, into this really thick traffic and there's not very much of an LAPD presence. So now they're climbing on top of this bus. They're lighting off the fireworks. We saw some vehicles here that were doing some really intense burnouts with huge clouds of smoke uh, coming up in the area. And so, yeah, this is a uh, new development now. Somebody up on top of this. Looks like someone spray painted. So then you, you'd also see them, they're, they're rocking that other car. They're trying to knock it over. I mean, as far as, as far as riots, this is how bad it is now in Los Angeles, that as far as riots go, you see that, you think, yeah, you know, it's it's we, we've seen a lot. That's that. I'm not sure that makes it into the top 20. Um, and there is this. I, I will. I will never understand. Yeah, I don't. I don't understand the inclination to riot at all. Um, but especially because you're happy that something happened that you you liked your football team won, and you're rioting because of that. I don't. I don't quite understand the psychology of it. Maybe it's good that I don't understand the psychology of it. But uh, there was no question that that's a riot. You're in the street. You're trying to tip cars over. You're climbing on cars. That's a riot. That's what that is. Um, But we know that with the media, they are very, very selective about what things they will call a riot. And they've only met in the last, I don't know, this century, they've only encountered one riot that they would call a riot, which was January 6th. Except that that, they can't help themselves. And that goes beyond riot. Now they call it insurrection, terrorist attack, whatever else. Um, 
but this, you know, because it's not, it's, it's, it, you can't pin this on conservatives. Um, it looks to be a racial mix in the crowd there, but certainly plenty of non-white people. So that means the media can't call it a riot. So what are they going to call it? Here's CBS Los Angeles. They say problem, <laughs> hold on, problematic celebrators were seen jumping on top of a white pickup truck as police tried to disperse the crowd. LAPD declared an unlawful assembly almost 45 minutes before. <laughs> problematic celebrators. So we know about the mostly peaceful protest. Okay, we know about the people that burn a CVS to the ground, run inside a Foot Locker, run out with with a arm, you know, an armful of uh, of stolen shoes. That's all protesters. Well, it was a, it was a, it was a problem, I guess, for the media because well, they can't call these protesters. They're not protesting. They're happy. They're happy. They're celebrating. So what are we going to call them? Problematic celebrators. You, you, you almost have to appreciate it for the humor, if nothing else. If you want another good laugh, here's uh, Larry Hogan on CNN. He was um, interviewed on CNN, and he's, the, by the way, the governor of, of uh, Maryland. Uh, uh, you know, basically, a, I guess we would call him a moderate, a moderate Republican. And, uh, and we call him moderate Republicans because he spends most of his time attacking people on the right, criticizing the right. And he doesn't like Donald Trump. And that's why he gets to go on CNN and they, and they uh, interview him. They give him a friendly interview. But here he is talking about his potential presidential run. Listen. That's a nice video. It, it just lacked the Hogan 2024 uh, banner at the bottom. Are you considering a presidential run? Well, we put out great videos like that almost every week. Uh, that, that was uh, taken from my State of the State address last week. And, and it's pretty well done. But I, like I said, I'm going to run through the tape as governor till January of next year. Uh, I, I'm going to try to be the very best governor I can be. I'm going to continue to stand up and be a voice. I'm not going to sit back and not be involved in the issues of the day. I'm concerned about the direction of the party and the country. And I'll make a decision about 2024 after I finish this job. So you are considering it? Well, so we're certainly going to take a look at it after January of 23. What makes you think that there's uh, a lane for a moderate-ish, uh, blue state, anti-Trump, sane Republican like you when you look at your party right now? Well, you know, I consider myself a common sense conservative. I have been a lifelong uh, Republican. Uh, I, I believe that that's where most people in America are. About 70 percent of the people in America are completely frustrated with politics on both sides, Republicans and Democrats. And latest CNN poll came out and said, you know, right now, only 50 percent of the Republicans would like to see Donald Trump run again. I believe that there is a pretty large lane of sane Republicans uh, and they're looking for a voice. That's good. I mean, it would need to be a large lane um, for him. But yeah, there, there is certainly a lane for someone who's not Donald Trump to run for president. Like, for example, Ron DeSantis uh, and, and, and other uh, there, there are other not many, but there is a, a group, a very small group of Republicans who I think, number one, would be would uh, be good presidents. And they'd, they'd have a chance maybe of beating Donald Trump in the primary, though, maybe not a very good chance. Um where does Larry Hogan fit into that? Well, he, he doesn't fit at all. Now, you have to appreciate the, of course, very unbiased, objective way that the question was framed. Is there room for a sane Republican like you? And you're, of course, you're sane because you don't like Donald Trump. That's the only thing that matters. That's the only litmus test here as far as uh, Jake Tapper's concerned. Um, is there room for him? No, there's not. 
you know, moderate Republican, you spend most of your time attacking people on the right. Um, you spend most of your time trying to appeal to people on the left. There is no room at all. And this is the problem that you, you wish moderate Republicans would, uh, would realize. You know, this is the obstacle that they're going to come up against. Is that if you're trying to appeal to the left, well, you might be able to appease them a little bit, but there's always going to be someone farther to your left. They, they, don't, they don't need you. I mean, why, why would they vote for you? They could just, they could get the real deal. And if it's a general election, presidential election, and you're trying to appeal to people on the left, well, they could, they could vote for the leftist Republican or the leftist Democrat. Why would they go with the Republican? Or you have people on the right who are sick and tired of people like you. So you, you're appealing to almost nobody. And it's not because it's not because you're a voice in the wilderness crying out. It's not because you're staying firm on your principles and, and all of that. It's because you're trying to find this middle lane between the right and then over here on the left, which advocates for pure, unadulterated evil. And you're trying to find kind of a trying to find a lane that isn't exactly true but isn't totally false. And we'll have more about that in the daily cancellation coming up. Uh, another clip I want to play for you. This is Representative Pramila Jayapal. She is, uh, I don't think she's quite in the squad, but she's she's sort of a, you know, she's a rotating, she's a sixth man kind of figure in the squad. And uh, they, they, they bring her in sometimes to talk about some of these issues. And here she is saying that unmasked members of Congress are undermining democracy somehow. Listen. This is where the lack of civility has come to in the United States Congress. And I think it is a massive problem. It undermines our ability to get work done. And it is intolerable in a workplace where we are going to work to do the work of the American people. And also, let me just remind your viewers that this was about wearing a mask, which is mandated in the Capitol. It is mandated in the Capitol and it is to protect our safety our collective safety, uh, the safety of our staffers. And so the idea that, and this has happened to me, where you get on an elevator and people refuse to wear a mask and your choices are to either get off the elevator or to get on the elevator and to tell them to wear a mask. That that should not be a problem in the United States Congress. And uh, I really believe that our colleagues who refuse to even adhere to the basic norms of civility are undermining our democracy. And of course, we're seeing it in all kinds of even more serious ways, like the January 6th insurrection is, is just part of that and part of the attempt to take down a legitimate democracy from functioning. Um, you know, she, she is an attractive woman. So, you know, I'll, I'll say that for her at least. But by not putting a mask on, you're, it's an attack on our institutions, an attack on democracy. We're, we're destroying democracy by not wearing a mask. And it's just like January 6th. Once again, the random buzzword generator. You got to ram uh, January 6th into it. How, how does any of this make sense? I mean, in what way does a person, a person not wearing a mask in an elevator is undermining democracy? What? But of course, the, none of these people are ever asked. It's one of my great frustrations. Now, there's a lot of questions you could ask people like this that they wouldn't be able to answer. I'd love for people to ask, but and they're not. But pretty much no matter what they're talking about, 
One of the most basic questions you could ask is just what, what, what is that supposed to mean exactly? Explain that. You're making a lot of assertions. So I heard all of your assertions that a person not wearing a mask in an elevator is, is undermining democracy. Explain what you mean by that exactly. Can you go into greater detail? And they're never asked to do that. Because the person conducting the interview knows that they wouldn't be able to explain it. These are just bald assertions. Just like these people are, are cannons projecting assertions, shooting assertions all over the place. And, uh, but you can never stop and pick any one of them up and say, well, what, what was this again? What did you mean by this? Because they won't be able to explain it because it's total nonsense. Um, all right. This is from a really important story here from the New York Post. It says a model has claimed that she doesn't need a boyfriend because she's so in love with herself. Uh, Luana Sandian said that she is autosexual, which is a self-love relationship that can go beyond the erotic sphere. The divorced model adds that she doesn't need a boyfriend to experience sexual pleasure and um, revealed that she will even be happy enjoying Valentine's Day alone. Um, she says being autosexual, as I see it, is along the same lines as being an independent person. Luana claimed that she's not thinking about having a relationship with someone else at the moment. She continued, I found myself single. It's the best thing a woman can do for herself. And she explains what autosexuality is. She says, it means I'm attracted to myself. I always felt that way. I just didn't know there was a name for it. And then she continues, and this was interesting. It's nice to know I'm not crazy or a massive narcissist. It's something real that a lot of people experience. It was very important to find out that I'm not alone. As sexy as that may sound, and it is, it's kind of self-love on steroids. There was always a part of me that thought it was weird, so it's nice to have this statement that it's normal. And so we see the same process carried out yet again, which, of course, by the way, this, it is narcissism. I mean, it's, it's like pretty much the definition of narcissism, um, being literally in love with yourself. I would be interested in seeing the, the headline 10 years from now. Uh, you know, the headline now is model claims she doesn't need a boyfriend because she's so in love with herself. Ten years from now, the, the, the headline is X model says that she's alone and miserable because of rampant misogyny. You know, that's going to be the headline 10 years from now, because the thing that these women don't understand is that um, your youth and your beauty, all of that fades pretty quickly. And it's just one of the sad realities of being a mortal human being. Um, and we're being introduced to a lot of the realities of being a mortal human being in the last few years, and people don't seem to like any of them. And that's just, it's, it's true. A lot of it is, is really not, not very fun. But another one of those uh, realities, along with the fact that you're going to die, another one is that if you live kind of a, a normal length of life, most of your life you're gonna, is, is going to be spent not youthful and physically beautiful. The majority of your life, you'll, you will be in that state. So what you have right now is very temporary and very fleeting. And if that's, if that's all you are, if that's the only thing you care to cultivate, then once that goes, you're going to have nothing. And when you're walking around now and saying, well, I don't, it doesn't matter because I'm, I'm young, I'm beautiful. I don't need to try to impress anybody. I don't need companionship with anybody. People are fawning over me. You know, when you act that way, eventually that goes away. You, you, you lose the youth and beauty. But people remember what a miserable person you are. 
And so you've alienated everyone in your life. You don't have your beauty to, beauty to fall back on. And now you're going to spend the rest of your life just alone, miserable. And that's what it's going to be. But she also says how, um, how well, okay, I, I'm in love with myself. I'm very obsessed with myself. All I care about is myself. So she's divorced. Her marriage didn't work out. Big shocker there. And then she says that I, uh, she, she went, I guess, on, on the internet, as people do. And she discovered that there's a name for that. There's a label. And that other people feel the same way she does about themselves. And just discovering that, discovering that she's, she's not alone, which is kind of ironic because she says that she wants to be alone. Yet it was, she wants to be alone. She's okay being alone. Yet it was very important to her that she's not alone in feeling this, this way at the same time. So she, she wants to be alone, but she also doesn't want to be alone. So you find this, that, that tension there. Um, and so it was important for her to find out that there are other people in this quote-unquote community, and that there's a label for it. And the minute you can label it, and you discover that there are other people that carry the same label, that, that in your mind, that legitimizes it. And that makes it a legitimate identity. And thus an identity that deserves to be celebrated. And probably we should take autosexual, if they're not already, and add them to the, to the alphabet, LGBTQIA. Maybe, is autosexual one of the A's that's already in there? I don't know. And we see this is this is the same process we've seen many times. Where you take people, they they you know they have a, a a certain compulsion, a compulsion that they should be resisting and suppressing. In her case, it's a compulsion towards obsessive selfishness. That's a it's bad. Okay, people might experience it, but it's bad. You should try to suppress it. You should try to be a better person. You should try to develop some virtue. Um, and maybe in a different time, someone like herself, that's what she would have done. Because she would have assumed that there's something wrong with feeling this way. She would have assumed that she's the only one. She was, she's not going to go out in public and talk to people face to face and say, hey, I'm in love with myself and I'm the only person I care about. She would never say that to someone. So she would feel that shame and, and she would feel the need to change herself. And she would change maybe. But now because of the internet, whatever compulsion you feel, you could just go Google it. Uh, discover that there are other people in that, quote, community. That there's even a fancy label for it. And now, rather than suppressing this and maybe getting over it and becoming a better person, now you've embraced it. And it begins to sort of eat you alive, and it's the only thing about you. It's your entire identity. So, the same old story. We've, the same song we've, uh, we've heard many times before. Forty years ago, Ronald Reagan saw massive inflation unlike anything the country had ever seen before until today. In Reagan's own words, inflation is as violent as a mugger, as frightening as an armed robber, and as deadly as a hitman. Right now, your retirement accounts are under attack thanks to the inflationary policies of this administration. If you've not yet called Birch Gold, the only people I trust to help you diversify your 401ks and IRAs into gold, then you're missing the boat. Now's the time to act. Actually, you're, you're treading water without a life vest. That's how bad it is. Birch Gold has your life vest, and they're going to make it very easy for you. Let them help you convert an IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. With thousands of satisfied customers and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, you can trust Birch Gold to protect your savings. All you got to do is text Walsh to 989898 to get a free info kit on gold. Reagan knew better than anyone that the biggest threat to our wealth and what it was is inflation. And you can protect your wealth now. All you got to do is text Walsh to 989898 to get your free info kit now. Let's get now to the comment section. Do you know their name? They're the sweet baby gang.
Dailywire.com slash sweetbabycomments. If you want to leave a video comment, let's start with uh, clip eight. Hey, Matt, I just wanted to respond to your criticism of that Super Bowl commercial for the Google Pixel 6. You know, I understand that with your white privilege, you just can't understand and grasp the difficulty that people of color go through when trying to take a simple photo or video. You know, uh, you just don't have their shared experience. And I would really expect more from the world's leading LGBTQ plus author. Peace. That was a that was an angel on earth that left that comment. And he was, he was subsumed back up into heaven as he was speaking. Uh, that's a shame because that was, that was a, a, a brilliant, but if you're, if you're just listening on audio, you can't appreciate what just happened there. And I think, I think if I explain the joke, it'll ruin it. So we're just going to move on. You'll have to go to YouTube or something and see the video there. Um, well done, though. All right, we got, we got one more here. Let's, let's watch this. Oh, just a photo. Okay. Okay. Uh, this is from Alex's. My dad's a huge fan, and he drew this just for you. And then there's a picture of me, and I actually look decent in the picture. I appreciate that. See, that's 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 what I know about myself. Is I always look. I like when people draw pictures of me, which might sound might sound narcissistic, but that's because that's the only time where I look passable, where I don't look hideous. It's always in the photographs, which, as we've discovered, it's because it's not it's it's not me. It's the camera, is the problem. All right, this is from Emily. She says, at this point, you can only be mad at the people. Come on, the elite have been nothing but open about their stance. Do what I say, not what I do. The issue is the people. Yeah, Emily, this is never going to be a popular stance to take, but I largely agree with you. This is why I could also never really call myself a populist because I'm way too skeptical of the populace. I'm skeptical of the elites too, certainly. But much of what is happening, it's, it's because we have allowed it to happen. And that's a broad statement because it applies to almost every area of the culture. You know, whatever's happening as a conservative, whatever's happening in the culture in whatever area, whether we're talking about education, we're talking about our civil liberties being taken away, whatever it is, um, it has required the silence. In order, in order for it to happen and for it to exist, it's required the silence of many People. In fact, we used to we used to brag all the time about the the silent majority because we were very proud of the majority part. But no one ever stopped to say, "What about the silence? What's up with the silence, though?" That's actually shameful to be in the majority and yet remain silent. And we remain silent for so long that now, you know, I, I don't even think we're in the majority anymore. Um, person. Good username there says, apparently Eminem was kneeling out of respect for Tupac, but this hasn't been confirmed, so no one truly knows what he knelt for. And another comment says, Eminem didn't take a knee during the anthem. He took a knee when the other dude played a Tupac song. He took a knee out of respect for Tupac. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is this is this is the argument that I've heard. This is the rationalization, and there were a lot of comments like this that oh no, he was just he was taking a knee for Tupac. <laughs> What? First of all, wh- why would he be doing that in the first place? But no, this was 100%. It was a statement for Colin Kaepernick. In fact, the story is that Eminem said ahead of time or told the NFL that he wanted to do this. And then the NFL kind of shook their fingers, finger at him and said, no, 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 don't do that. Tisk, tisk. We don't, we don't want you to do that. Wink, wink. And then he went ahead and did it anyway. Right. So that, so that you know, it's the best of both wor- worlds for the NFL. So that they could get the political statement that they that they like, and then it appeals to those people. 
um, to that to that side of the political aisle. But then also the NFL can say, oh, but we didn't want him to do that. And then that's supposed to satiate the people on the right. So that was the plan there. But it's 100% a fact that he was doing this for uh, Colin Kaepernick. But it, all, but it also shows just how absurd the whole knee thing is because it, 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 it's such a vague statement. And it, the meaning behind it continues to morph. So originally it was supposed to be about police brutality. And then it became this kind of generalized protest against America as a whole. And then it became different things. And then Eminem does it, and it's to honor Colin Kaepernick. But now we're told that, oh, no, he's also honoring Tupac, too. So just throw it all in there. Just like, It's a kind of a, it's the grab bag of political statements, I guess. You know, if you uh, missed the world premiere of Shut In this past weekend, head to dailywire.com slash subscribe and get a membership today. It's not too late, of course, to watch that film or any of our other content. The film is now exclusively streaming for Daily Wire members and currently has a critic score of 100% and an audience score of 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. There's a shocker. We are creating more and more great entertainment without a leftist agenda, and it's all thanks to our Daily Wire members. So head to dailywire.com slash subscribe today so you can watch Shut In also, Hyperion's and Gina's new movie out this summer. All that's coming up. And if you're a Candace Owens fan, yes, we can. This merch is back in stock and ready for your shipping and shopping pleasure. She's also added brand new merch that is very limited. The restock includes a new line of posters, heavy-duty short sleeves, and long-sleeve t-shirts. When she launched the line in December, her initial merch release sold out in just two days. Her autograph hats sold out in hours. So don't wait, or this new collection might be gone. All of these items... And much more. You can check out now at yeswecandice.com. Also go to dailywire.com slash shop. You can get my merchandise too. When it comes to understanding how our world is run, there's always more to uncover. Introducing one of the Daily Wire's newest projects, The Enemy Within. Our new series featuring acclaimed journalist Lee Smith, author of The Plot Against the President. Um, in his newest project, Smith uncovers a political coup orchestrated by America's ruling elites to generate their own wealth and power at the expense of the American people's safety and freedom. From Fauci to our educational system to Hollywood and everything in between, each episode will take you deep behind the scenes to expose what those who are supposed to be protecting you don't want you to know. The Enemy Within will start streaming this Friday exclusively at The Daily Wire. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Today we cancel someone who, up to this point, has somehow never made it into the daily cancellation, I don't think. That would be David French, ostensibly a conservative columnist, uh, once of the National Review and now of the Never Trump publication, The Dispatch. Now, I hesitate to describe anything as Never Trump because it's ridiculous to still define people that way with Trump no longer even in office. In fact, Never Trump stopped having logical relevance after he won the primaries in 2016. Six years later, though, the label still somehow applies because people like French still choose to define themselves by their opposition to the former president. But it goes beyond Trump. For French and people on his team, opposition to Trump has long since turned into opposition to, opposition to and obsessive focus on whatever they consider to be the far right. Though French and company continue to call themselves conservatives, members of the right, they dedicate most of their time and nearly everything that they write to attacking those who are further on the right than themselves. Now, there's nothing wrong with holding your own side accountable. I criticize Republicans all the time. I'm doing it right now. But the problem is that there is this certain element which seems to have almost entirely given up on opposing the left. For them, the great villains in our country, public enemies number one, are the people on their own side, which makes you wonder if they're really on our side at all. In David French's case, he has uh, made it a special mission of late to criticize right-wing e evangelicals. And his new tradition, it seems, 
is to publish a weekly screed calling evangelicals to task on Sunday. He always publishes it on Sunday. So why, while they're all at church, French hits them with another uppercut. The latest from this past Sunday, um, published on Dispatch, makes the case that right-wing evangelicals are the, the most dangerous radicals in the country. In fact, French said exactly this. He shared his column to Twitter with this caption, where are America's most dangerous political radicals? Rallying in churches by the thousands, in city after city, in church after church. The seeds for the next insurrection are being sown by the MAGA Christian nationalists right before our eyes. Now, the article proceeds over the course of some 2,000 words to expose what French calls MAGA Christian nationalism. This is what he, a supposed conservative, considers to be the most dangerous political movement in the country. He talks about the groups of evangelicals who remain steadfastly loyal to Donald Trump. They believe the election was stolen. They think that Trump is, uh, in some cases, you know, is the, is the only one who can rescue the nation. He describes something called the Reawaken America Tour, which stops at venues across the country, often churches, and features Michael Flynn and presumably other speakers doing sort of a mix of apocalyptic preaching and political activism. And there are people in this group who attend those events that French describes who believe that Trump is still the president and are prone to buy into various theories about how Trump will eventually reemerge as the true leader and president of the country. Those claims were a lot more popular in the first eight months of the Biden administration, propagated by people like Sidney Powell and Lynn Wood. They seem to have died away a little bit. Um, but still, this is the kind of thing we're talking about, and which French has set his sights on, and considers to be one of the great crises we face as a society and the most dangerous threat. Now, I agree with David French that a lot of this stuff is pretty weird. I also don't think that Donald Trump is our savior, or ever was. I don't think that any man is our savior, um, especially not Donald Trump. I don't think he's the answer in 2024. I think it's time to move on from him and start looking at guys like DeSantis. Though even with DeSantis, I, I hope that he never develops the kind of cult of personality that Trump had, and in some cases still has, around himself. I think we should retain a healthy skepticism towards all politicians. But the idea that any of this represents some great existential threat to the United States is laughable. And the claim that devoted Trump fans are the most dangerous political radicals in the country is not only wrong, but reprehensible. It's the kind of thing that only a very stupid person could possibly believe. And, and David French is not stupid. If he's not stupid, that means that he is, as a Christian himself, choosing to make fellow Christians into the targets, into sort of human shields, to cover for the people who are truly the most dangerous. And who are those people? Well, the worst thing that MAGA Christian nationalists, as French calls them, ever did was January 6th. And that was not an insurrection or the worst day in American history or anything close to either of those, but it was bad and it was stupid. It was a riot. And there really is no context where a riot is ever a smart strategy or the right thing to do, especially not a riot at the Capitol. But let's flip it over now to the other side and ask the same sort of question. What's the worst thing that leftist radicals have ever done? Well, they have, for one thing, facilitated and funded the slaughter of 60 million human children since Roe v. Wade. I would think that that already puts them in a league far beyond the idiots who took an unsanctioned tour of the Capitol building. Does David French not believe that the 60 million babies who were killed, uh, who've been killed, are legitimate human beings? He says he's pro-life. If he is, then he must believe that they're human beings. And if he does, then he cannot possibly think that MAGA people are more dangerous 
than those who are carrying out the mass slaughter of infants. And it doesn't end there. What else have leftist radicals done? They've waged an all-out assault on law and order. They've intentionally plunged our cities into anarchy and violence. They've fomented not just one instance of rioting, but an entire summer of it. And they've excused and encouraged the endemic looting that now happens in many of these same cities. They've torn down statues and monuments. They've tried to rewrite history. They've lied repeatedly about the issue of police brutality, intentionally putting cops in harm's way, getting many of them killed. They've embedded radical gender ideology into our school system. They've indoctrinated millions of kids into it. They've sent millions of kids plummeting into confusion and internal chaos. So they're agents of chaos both externally and internally. They chemically castrate little boys. They chop the breasts off of 15-year-old girls. They mutilate and destroy and kill. They prey on the most vulnerable. We haven't even talked about how they've used COVID to erase our civil liberties or how they use blackmail and intimidation and the, and the mob to silence and shame anyone who criticizes their agenda. They also use outright lies and slander. For example, as it happens, right now as we speak, leftists are uh, photoshopping fake tweets and posting them to Twitter claiming that I wrote them. This has happened more than once and not just small accounts spreading these tweets either. It's a coordinated effort to smear and silence me. This is what they do. This is who we're dealing with. The most dangerous? I mean, there's no context or contest, I should say. There are some weirdos on the right. There are also gullible people who unfortunately get suckered by con artists like Lynn Wood and his ilk. Um, but gullible people and weird people exist everywhere. That, that's not why our civilization is imploding. It's imploding due to the conscious efforts of radical leftists who are, who are not congregating in suburban churches, but who hold positions of power and who control every major institution in the country. Because you know, that's the other thing about these uh, uh, people that go to uh, reawaken America with Michael Flynn or whatever. The other thing about them is uh, you can say whatever you want about what they believe and what they're saying. These people are not in positions of power. Okay, They're, they're not running the government. Um, they're not running Facebook. They're not running big tech. They don't run Hollywood. They don't run anything institutionally. No, the people that run these institutions, they're the danger. They're the threat. And if you aren't focused primarily on fighting that war against those people, then we're not on the same side. And that's why today David French is finally canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodowski. The show is edited by Robbie Dantzler. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Justin Trudeau suspends civil liberties in Canada to stop the Freedom Convoy. Washington, D.C. lifts its draconian vaccine mandate. And the New York Times gets away with defaming Sarah Palin. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show. <laughs>